Hey guys, thanks for joining us today. One of the things that energizes our teams the most is being able to hear stories of lives that are impacted by this ministry. We would love for you to share your story with us by emailing it to stories at newcommunity.co or maybe your next step to getting connected to what God is doing in this ministry is partnering with us financially. You can do that online at www.newcommunity.co or through the PushPay app and find the giving option that works best for you. Thanks so much for tuning in and enjoy today's message. Well, church, we're going to continue worshiping together through our giving. And this is the time of the service where we have an opportunity to come together and to honor God and, and to give to him financially because of what he's given to us. And as we prepare for this time, I want to share some exciting news that is getting ready to happen here at New Community Church. You know, each and every one of us, you're sitting here this morning, I'm here this morning because of someone else. You may not realize it or not, but someone else has paved the way for you to be here. New Community Church, we've been a church for over six years now, and many of you um, have been here, you know, all of that time. Some of you guys have been here a short amount of time. Some of you guys have just come over the past few weeks and past few months, and we're here because people decided to faithfully give, to serve, and to support the vision of making people in places new. But our story doesn't even just start there, you guys, because before that we were Creek Crossing Assembly, and, and before that we were um, East Dallas Assembly, and we were over on, uh, on the east side of Dallas, the west side of Mesquite, and a group of people got together and they said, we want to do more to reach families. And we think that if we moved over here to the Creek Crossing area, that we could do that. And so they took a step of faith, they bought this plot of land, they built this building, and because of that, so many families have been a part of this church, have been ministered to. They've had lives changed. And we now have a chance to be a part of that. We've said in Made for More, we can't stay here. We can't stay here, church. That we are going to be a church that gives, that supports, that serves the vision that God is calling us to. And you need to know this is a vision for the next generation. It's not just us coming in here on a Sunday morning and what we get this is for our kids, and it's for other students and kids, babies that haven't even been born yet that God is going to call and bring here to this church and make a part of this church. And so we have that vision of God. We want to come alongside of what you're calling us to, Lord, and we want to invest in the next generation. So as we've been looking at this, we've said some things. God, how can we do that? How do we create that legacy? How do we create that vision? And a part of it is we're going to be looking at adding on to this current facility. I want you to hear this. We have a vision as a church, yes, to invest in kids in the next generation. And so we've been working with some great consultants that have been helping us with this. And so we want a building that's more safe, that's more secure for our kids as they learn the word of God, that's more interactive on a Sunday morning, that's a great place for students on a Wednesday night to come and be challenged with God's word and be sent out into their middle school and high school. But it's not just about a building, you guys. We're not just getting excited because we're going to have an additional facility. It's about people. That's our heart. It's about people. And so we want to deepen our partnership with MISD in the Read, Play, Talk initiative. We want a preschool or a literacy center here in this edition that's going to help resource kids, make, make them successful in their education before they even start kindergarten. 
We want under-resourced and under-income families to be successful just as those that are resourced as they start kindergarten. And so we're going to be partnering with the MISD to do that in this edition that we're going to be making. But it's not just here. We've said this, I'm going to change the world. And it starts here, but it extends beyond Mesquite in this community. And it goes into El Salvador. It goes into Southeast Asia where we want to help plant churches, where we want to help build schools, where we want to send many of you as adults and as students on short-term missions trips to go over there, to be a part of that construction, to share God's word, to hand someone the Bible that has never read scripture and see their life changed and transformed. You guys, that's our desire. Scripture is gonna shape our life. We wanna take these services, we wanna stream them online so people can take that first step of engaging with God's word and ultimately come here to this church and be a part of the body of Christ and grow in their relationship with God. This is the vision that God is calling us to. Not just what we can receive, but God, what can we give? How can we invest in future generations? And so we're going to be stepping into this vision. We're going to be stepping into God's calling. And on April 23rd, the Sunday after Easter, we're going to be launching this new campaign, this new part of Made for More, which is the generous giving part. And we're saying, God, if this is the vision, we realize it's going to cost us something, God. We're going to have to look at what you're calling each and every one of us. God, what we can give to invest in future generations, to pour into the next generation, God, to see their life change. Lord, not just about what we can get, God, but what can we give? And so I'm going to ask you guys, we're going to be praying together as a church. There's going to be more information. There's going to be challenging um, desserts that we're going to have, different things where we're going to come together and say, God, what are you speaking to us? And where we're going to clearly convey this vision. But I want to share this challenging passage with you. First Chronicles chapter 29 says this. The people of God were in a similar situation. And they look around, and the only place they can get together is in a tent. And they're saying, you know what? Not everyone can gather here. We're limited in space. This isn't the best environment to worship God. And so we are going to build God a house. And so King David calls for all the people. And people begin to come. And they begin to give generously. And everyone's rejoicing. And in 1 Chronicles 29, verse 14, as David's praying, he makes this prayer. This is his statement to God. He says, God, who am I? And who are we as your people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you, God. And what we have given today, it's only what comes from your hand. There was this realization in the people of God as they were giving generously. God, everything that we're giving today, God, it's not even ours. It didn't start with us, God. It's something that's come from your hand, God. And so we generously, joyfully, God, we celebrate and rejoice as we give it back to you. Church, we're going to step into this vision and into this next campaign time of saying, God, we want to invest in the next generation. We want to see a facility added on. We want a safer place for our kids. We want to see communities change, and, and we want this partnership with MISD to be deepened. This is the vision that God has given us. And each one of us, we're going to get to be a part of that and generously give and say, God, we are going to invest in the next generation. And so I want to encourage you, be here over the next few weeks. We're, we're going to be talking about different things. Once again, on April 23rd, we'll kind of launch in this together of saying, God, we are believing for great things as we step into your vision. I'm going to ask our ushers who are helping us this morning, they can make their way forward. This morning, this is the time where we can give our normal tithes and offerings. But I want to pray for us as God shows us this vision as we get ready to enter this time, even as we give this morning, that God would take what is given and invested in his kingdom. Let's pray together this morning, church. God, we thank you because we are truly a blessed people, Lord. 
And God, we're not satisfied with just where we're at, Lord. We want to see more people invested in God. We want to see more people come to know you, more families change, God. So I pray, take what is given this morning, God, use it for your kingdom. God, as we step into this campaign, God, as we see addition happen in all of these things, God, use it, Lord, to bring change and transformation to this community. God, help us to make people and places new. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, good morning, church. How are you guys doing this morning? Are you feeling that hour of sleep that you lost right now? Okay. I'm glad that you guys are here, that you made it here this morning. You didn't let that stop you. Um, if you're our guest, let me start just by introducing myself, if I haven't met you yet. My name is Aaron, and I am the lead pastor here at NCC. Um, I've been here about three years. We are a church that is passionate about making people in places new. You just heard us talk about that, and we have a vision to see God use our church and use us here in this community to see people change. And we're in this series um, called Walk This Way. So we've been spending the past few weeks... Um, in these books of the Bible. We started in September in the book of Genesis, and now we're kind of completing the old part of the Old Testament of the Bible. We're in this grouping um, of these books that are called the Major and Minor Prophets. Okay, they're all of these books of the Bible that are hard to pronounce, Nahum, Habakkuk, okay, all of these, Malachi, and they're these books that we're looking at, and we're looking at the spiritual leaders at that time, and how God was speaking to them, how God was challenging them, and the message that they brought how it was calling the people of God back to himself, how the people had wandered away, their hearts were far from God, and God was speaking to them and saying, hey, I want to draw you back. I want to bring you back. I love you, and I want you to be in my family. I want you to be close to me. And so this is what we see in these books of the Bible, this challenging message to walk this way, to live out the message of God. And in this, um, as we've been talking about this every week, um, we started every message, and so I want to do that again this week with reminding you that these messages are challenging, okay? So you start to read through these and some of the words that God uses and some of this harsh language, and you could say, wait, I thought we were talking about a God of love and a God of grace. I thought this is what we were speaking about, and this is the same God, and this is a message of conviction, not condemnation. See, condemnation will tell you, you know what? You're worthless. You don't have value. You've messed up your life, and God doesn't want anything to do with you. So run away. Get as far away from God as you can because you're messed up. And that's not what this message is. This is a message of conviction where God is saying, you know what? I'm calling you. Yes, your life is broken. And yes, yes your life is messed up. But I'm not done with you. I'm calling you back to myself. I want to redeem you. I want to restore you to what I have. And so as we read through this, we're reading through those eyes. The second thing is this right here as we read through this. It's important as we approach Scripture that we're asking ourselves some questions. Now, when you read Scripture and when we're here on a Sunday morning, it's not just to get through a certain part of the Bible. Okay, you don't open your Bible and say, okay, I finished the chapter. I'm good now. That's it. I kind of read my section. But you want to know, God, what are you saying to me? And when we do that, there's some great questions to ask. This is one of them. God, what you're speaking to me right here, what I just read, what we just talked about, is this a principle or is this a practice? Okay, so if you're studying the Bible, this is a good question to write down and to remind yourself, is this a principle or is this a practice? Okay, and what I mean by that is, let's rewind a few weeks. A few weeks ago, we talked about Isaiah chapter 58. God said, I'm not just looking at the cover of your life. I want to know if there's content there. I want to know if there's substance to your life. And he challenges his people, hey, when you see those in need, when you see a homeless person, invite them in. When you see a person that's hungry, feed them. When you see a person with a physical need, do something about it. And so we step back. God, is this a principle or is this a practice? 
Is this just an idea you're saying, God, or is this something you want us to live out? And this is a practice. God isn't just saying, hey, just think about this. He's saying, no, go do this. You see someone in need, find a way to meet that need. You need to practice this, walk this way, live this out in your life, okay? So we ask that question and we say, wait, God, that's a practice. You're not just telling us to, you know, kind of theorize about this, but to actually live it out. Then you go to another um, passage in the Bible. A few weeks before that, Pastor Spencer was here. He was on stage. He was talking about the life of David. He talked about how King David messed up. He was a married man. He went out and had an affair with another married woman, got her pregnant, got scared, and to cover up his sin, had her husband Uriah killed. Okay? Now you step back and you ask the question, is that a principle or a practice? God is not telling you to do that, okay? If you hear that, you need to check yourself, okay? Because that is not what God is saying. But it is a principle God gives us that story. There's a lesson in the Bible so that we learn. We don't repeat David's mistake. We learn how David repented, how his heart was broken before God, and how he came back into a right relationship. It's not a practice. God isn't telling you to go do that. It is a principle for you to learn from. And today, as we look at this, you're going to see that kind of same thing through Hosea's life. God's not telling all of us to go do what Hosea did, but there's a powerful principle about our life that God wants to speak to us about as we look at the life of Hosea. Okay, so we're going to see this principle and look at God's love for us. Now, God in the book of Hosea, he is a matchmaker, okay? A little heavenly dating online service. And God looks at Hosea and he says, hey, I've chosen someone for you. Okay, and God is speaking that in the life of Hosea. As I was reading through this, I was thinking about my own wedding day, July 25th, 1998. That guy looks different, doesn't he? <laughs> I was 20 years old. Sarah was 19. Um, we have been married 18 years at this point. I know I don't look that old, okay, but I am. So we'd been married 18 years. And I remember I'd been looking forward to this day for so many months um, since I had asked Sarah right around Christmas time, and we got married that next July, and I was looking forward to this day, but the day was kind of a blur. And I remember it all felt crazy. Not everything went perfectly, okay? It's 15 minutes before our wedding's going to start. My dad's officiating, and he said, Aaron, you don't have any of this stuff for communion. Are you guys just going to fake it? getting to act like you're taking communion. And I panicked. I ran out of the church. You guys have seen Runaway Bride. I was Runaway Groom. Okay, I took off out of the church. Sarah's freaking out. Where did Aaron go? I went and got the communion stuff um, at a place that we were staying at, and I brought it back. I made it in time for the wedding. Everything was crazy, but I do remember, out of all the craziness of that day, standing there in front of Sarah and holding her hands. And my dad is challenging me to repeat after him these vows that I had written this commitment that I made to Sarah and I'm looking in her eyes in this absolute joy, probably one of the, the best moments apart from giving my life to Christ of looking Sarah in the eye and realizing I'm committing the rest of my life to her. I get to love her. I get to spend time with her. We get to be together forever. We get to have a family together. And this amazing thought of I'm committing that love to this person. God, I am so blessed in this moment. And then absolute fear and terror of what if she finds out who I really am? What if we get married and things don't work out? What if she doesn't love me after three years or after five years and she thinks, man, you really are messed up. What did I get myself into? In those moments as I'm standing there looking and, and, and saying these vows, it, it was a little scary at times. It was absolutely joyful in that moment. Both of those emotions coming together of realizing I'm committing my life to another person, God. This is who you've given me. And this is the picture God gives us of our relationship with him, of how he loves us. 
that you and I, that we're in this relationship with God. And over and over again, he looks at you and he looks at me and he says, you're my bride. You're the person that I've chosen. You're the one that I want to spend eternity with. I love you with an everlasting love. And you, you guys can see that, that commitment that we made. This is the picture that God gives us. This is the image of his love. So if you have your Bible, turn to Hosea chapter 1. We're going to start reading at verse 2. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. There's a Bible in the seat in front of you, and it's on page 437 in that Bible. And I want to encourage you, take that out, grab that Bible in the seat in front of you, kind of follow along with us um, as we read through this. And we're going to look at this image that God gives, of, gives us of his love um, for us and for his people at this time. Now, the people of God had turned away from God. As I had mentioned, their hearts were going after other gods, false idols, and they, they had really rejected God. They were unfaithful to God. And God is trying to get their attention and show them this picture and call them back. So as I mentioned, God had called Hosea. He was a man of God. He was a prophet. And then God says this to him. Hosea chapter 1, verse 2. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go take to yourself a wife of whoredom. Yes, that is in the Bible, okay? Go marry a prostitute, Hosea. And have children of whoredom. Have children that aren't really yours, okay? For the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. Basically, the land has prostituted itself. The people have been unfaithful to me as their God. So he went, Hosea went and took Gomer, the daughter of Dibliam, and she conceived and bore him a son. So Hosea does what God is telling him. Once again, a principle, okay? God's not telling each of us to go marry a prostitute. God's trying to teach us a principle here. And this is what he says to Hosea. Hosea, you're going to go marry a prostitute. And I've chosen who it is. It's Gomer. You're going to commit yourself to her. And this is going to be a sign to my people, a sign to everyone that sees you guys, that this is what the people of God have done to me. But yet I choose to love them. I choose to be faithful to them. I choose to continue to extend my grace to them. This was the picture that God called Hosea, kind of like Ezekiel, to live out this crazy picture through his life so that the people of God would understand what God was saying and the kind of love that God had. Now, I want you to just imagine this. I, I was reading through this, and I'm trying to, to understand the story this week as I read it over and over again and was looking at different things, and I'm thinking about that. I don't know about you, but I had some idea of what marriage was going to be like when I was growing up, okay, I know um, maybe girls more so than guys, but, but we think about, hey, what's it going to be like to be married? You know, what's, what's that going to be like? What's going to happen? How's my family going to look? How's my spouse going to look? What's all of that going to be like? And Hosea had to have something in his mind of what he had seen with others, and it probably didn't involve a prostitute, okay? That's probably not what he was thinking when he was little is, hey, that's what I'm going to do when I grow up is I'm going to marry a prostitute and she's going to be unfaithful and have kids and I'm not going to know who their dad is. That's probably not what is in his mind. But that is what God asked him to do to show a picture of God's love for his people. And God tells him, Hosea, as you're walking through town and you look over past the marketplace, and you see that brothel, whether it was tents or whether it was some kind of built structure. You see those ladies that are standing out in front of there. You know what they do, Hosea? Yeah, God, I know what they do. Those are people that are unfaithful. They're, they're selling their bodies for, for a moment of pleasure. That's what they're doing. And God said, yeah, that's who I've chosen as your wife. And Hosea has to be saying, God, you don't understand. I'm a righteous person. I'm a prophet, Lord. I can't marry a prostitute. I can't do that. And God says, really, that's what I've done. That's what I've done for my people. 
And I want you to just for a moment in your mind to imagine what this must have been like for Hosea. That he marries her, that he stands across from Gomer. And if he wasn't upset with the idea of marrying a prostitute, what about a woman named Gomer? What kind of name is that? And he had to think, no, God, not, not that one, right? And I'm sorry if you know someone named Gomer. It just seems a little odd to me, okay? And, and he's looking at her and he's saying, I'm going to be faithful to you. For better or worse, for richer or for poor, no matter what happens, I'm promising my love to you. I know what you've done, but I'm committing to be faithful to you now. And Gomer, I'm asking that you would commit and be faithful to me from this point forward. And even two days, a week later, as he's walking by, he knows why guys are looking at his wife. Can you imagine that? He's on his way to church. He's on his way to synagogue or the place of worship. And everyone's looking because they've been with Gomer. They've paid to sleep with her just a few months earlier. The guys in the town know who she is and how humiliating that must have been for Hosea. But he committed, I'm going to love you. I'm going to love you. In this powerful picture of God's grace, of what God does through the story of Hosea, is the story of us. And church, make no mistakes as we make no mistake as we read this story this morning. You and I, we'd like to imagine ourselves the hero that God is calling us to go out and to rescue people. And although we find that in the Bible, that is not what this story is because you and I are not Hosea. We're Gomer, you guys. We're the person that continually and repeatedly have been unfaithful to God in so many different ways, and He's loved us in spite of it. He's loved us instead of our mistakes, instead of our brokenness. He has extended his love and his kindness. And even when everyone else said you were worthless and I was worthless, God said, I'm committing myself to you. I love you. I love you. See, this picture that we give, if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down this morning. The picture of Hosea and Gomer is a picture of this, a picture of unimaginable grace because of the unconditional love of an infinite God unimaginable grace because of the unconditional love of an infinite God. I know that's a mouthful, but as I was reading through this story, I couldn't shake these three ideas, unimaginable grace because of the unconditional love of an infinite God. That's what is happening in the life of Gomer. That's what's taking place as she's standing across from Hosea. And she didn't deserve it. Gomer had one idea of how her life was going to play out as a prostitute. She was going to be paid for, bought and sold, used up for so many years until she had outlived her usefulness. And then who's going to keep her on at that point? What is she going to do? Who's going to want a used up prostitute? Gomer knew what her life was going to be. She was going to be used by men for so many years until she was no longer desirable, until her body was racked with sexually transmitted diseases, and then she was going to be thrown out of the brothel without any food, without any place to stay. Who is going to take up an aged, used prostitute? Who's going to want anything to do with her? She knew what her life was like. And Hosea comes in with unimaginable grace. And he looks at her. He says, Gomer, I know who you were but I'm going to protect you. Gomer, you didn't think you had a place where you were going to be provided for, but I'm going to provide for your every need. You're never going to want anything again. Gomer, I'm going to protect you. Men are never going to look at you like that. You're never going to have to do that again, Gomer. I am here. I'm that protection. It was grace, unimaginable grace when she thought, this is all I'm worth. I know what my value is. I'm a prostitute. And Hosea looks at her and says, you're the most beautiful lady that I've ever seen. 
You know what? You're valuable. There's not another woman like you in the entire nation. That's what your worth is to me. See, it was unimaginable grace. She could not wrap her mind around it that this man was standing there speaking this over her life. I see your worth when no one else sees it. And he said, I'm going to protect you. I'm going to take care of you. See, church, that's what God has done for you. That's what God has done for me. We didn't deserve it. We are Gomer in the story. Our hearts have been unfaithful so many times to God. And God says, you know what? I love you. And my grace is there. It's not what you deserve. You're not going to get what you deserve because what each and every one of us deserve is eternity away from God, eternity spent in hell. But God says, I'm not going to give you that. My grace is going to cover you. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to speak your worth. I'm going to tell you how valuable you are. I'm going to tell you how beautiful you are to me. I'm going to tell you what I really think about you, how great you are. You're going to be mine. No one else is ever going to need to treat you like that again. You're mine now, unimaginable grace. And church, it's not just grace on the first day. See, we think about that sometimes. So, God, it's grace when I respond for the first time, like, God, I need you in my life. Come and rescue me. Come and save me. But no, it's not just grace on that day. It's grace every other day. It's grace when Hosea wakes up the next morning and he makes her breakfast. It's grace when he speaks life over her when she doesn't feel it. It's grace when he takes care of her and protects her as a husband should his wife. It's grace, and that's how it is with you and me. We need grace every single day of our life. You guys, it's not that I need um, less grace now than I did when I started after I've done this 20 years. I need the grace of God every single moment, every single day to live like he's calling me to live because there's brokenness in my heart. There's brokenness in your life and you need the grace of God today just as much as you did as when you started it. It's grace, you guys, unimaginable grace that God would bless me with a beautiful family, with kids, that God would call me into ministry. That's grace, unimaginable grace, what God has done in your life, the place that he's put you, the position that he's put you. That's what Hosea does. He calls his wife. And Lamont said it like this, this author, she said, I don't understand the mystery of grace, only that it meets us where we are and doesn't leave us where it found us. It meets us where we are and doesn't leave us where it found us. Hosea doesn't call Gomer to him. He goes to her and he looks at her as she's standing outside of that brothel and he says, you know what? You're going to be my bride. God has called me. I'm going to love you. I'm going to protect you. He went and met her where she was at, but he didn't leave her there. He brought her home. He married her. He took her as his own. That's what God has done for you and for me. Wherever you were at, Whatever the addiction was, whatever the sin was, whatever was going on in your life, God looked at you, God looked at me, and he said, hey, I'm going to go where you are. You can't get to me because of your brokenness and because of your sin, but I'm going to meet you at your point, at where you're at, but I'm not going to leave you there. I'm not going to leave you in your brokenness. I'm going to bring you. I'm going to restore you. I'm going to redeem you. I'm going to show you my plan and my purpose. Unimaginable grace, you guys. I can remember whenever I was eight or nine years old, and my dad used to do this a lot. We'd be driving somewhere, and he'd ask me some kind of theological question that I really didn't understand as an eight and nine-year-old. And we're driving somewhere, and dad looks over at me. It had been quiet for a few minutes, and he says, Aaron, you know the song Amazing Grace? And I'm like, yeah, we sang it all the time. Some of you guys may remember that older hymn, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound. I start quoting the words. I didn't sing it because it's not pretty. I won't do it now, okay? I don't have a good voice. And I'm saying that, and when I get to that part, 
that saved a wretch like me, my dad stopped me. And he said, Aaron, are those words right? Like, are you really a wretch? And I started to think, I paused for a moment, and I thought, I'm eight or nine years old. My dad's a pastor. How horrible am I? I did have an addiction, you guys, okay? I was addicted um, to Smarties and to Sweet Tarts, okay? And it was pretty bad. I needed them a lot, okay? And I was always doing that. But I looked around, and I thought, I'm not as bad as everyone else around me. Like, there were kids in my class, and they used inappropriate language. They were cussing. They didn't go to church. I was at church a lot because my dad was a pastor. I started to think, you know what? What kind of wretch am I? I'm singing those words, but I'm not really that bad. And I looked at my dad, and I said, I'm not really a wretch, Dad. Like, I've not really done anything really bad. And my dad... And his amazing wisdom that he shared with me all of his life said, you're choosing the wrong standard, Aaron. Looking at the wrong things. He said, because you're looking at other people around you and you're comparing your life to them, you need to compare your life to an infinite God. And we don't truly understand grace while we're just looking around us. See, because you and I, we look at the person next to us in the cubicle at work. We look at our neighbor, and we judge ourselves by them, and we think we're not really that bad, you guys. Like, we're in church, and we're doing the right things. We're not really that wretch. I'm not Gomer in the story. I'm not a prostitute. That's not who I am, but we're choosing the wrong standard, you guys, because we are wretched from the point that we are born because the standard is not another person. It is an infinite God. It is a righteous and a holy God who is perfect and blameless in every single thing that he does in every moment throughout all eternity. He is in perfection in his holiness. And he is the standard, you guys, not the person next to you. And I stand next to God. And I think after 20 years, man, I should have this, right? After 20 years of serving God, after 20 years of God rescuing me, I should understand it. But I look at my life and I start to see, God, there's insecurities, there's doubts, there's selfishness, there's pride, God. There's self-righteousness in my life, God. And I look at you and I am not like you, God. I'm so unholy, God. I'm so messed up. My life is jacked up, Lord. I'm not perfect like you are, God. I am desperately in need of your grace not just 20 years ago, but today. See, church, you're going to miss grace if you don't realize who the standard is. And Hosea is feeling, or Gomer's feeling unworthy as she stands there next to Hosea, really realizing he's a prophet and I'm a prostitute. It's that same way when we stand next to God. We're not like him. But God's looking at you. He's looking at me. He's saying, I'll give you my unimaginable grace Because of my unconditional love, even though I'm an infinite God, I love you. I believe in you. I I have something more for you. This powerful picture that we see. I want us to look at one more thing in this book right here as we get ready to close this morning. It's Gomer and who she is and what we can see from our life. Hosea chapter 3 verse 1. If you still have your Bible, you can turn there quickly. It's on page 438. And this is what it says. We, We read a little bit. Hosea and Gomer have been together. They've had kids. And we pick the story back up here in chapter 3. And it says this, The Lord said to me, Go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a leth of barley. And I said to her, You must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man, so will I also be to you. 
And I'm looking at this story and I'm saying, wait, wait a minute. Because Hosea has already rescued Gomer. And they've had kids together. And he's brought her in his house and he's protected her. He's taken care of her. He's told her how valuable she is and that she will never have to go back to that lifestyle. But we just flip over a couple of chapters and what do we see? Gomer's left him, you guys. Gomer's left this place of protection. Gomer has left this place of security. She's left this man that has loved her and that has been there, and she's gone back to being a prostitute. And that's how the story is playing out here. And God says, you know what, Hosea? I want you to go back, and I want you to get her again. Hosea has to be humiliated again, and he has to go buy back, buy back for 15 shekels of silver and these other things, barley and some wheat. He's got to buy back his wife. That is his. It's his partner. It's the person that he loves. He has to pay money to get her back because she's ran away. And I started to think about this. What is it in Gomer's mind that after Hosea has loved her, after she's experienced this, why would she leave? Why would she go back to that life? And I believe this, what we see in this thing that she struggled with is we don't deserve his grace and we can't buy his love. See, you and I, we don't deserve his grace. We can't buy his love. But what had Gomer been told for now years upon years upon years, day after day with every transaction? Gomer, your value, your worth is simply what you bring sexually to the world. And guys would pay her for love, right? They would pay her for love. And she thought, you know what? The only thing I'm worth, the only thing that's valuable is what I can do, the work that I provide. The only reason anyone would ever want to accept me or would ever want to be with me is because of the work that I do, because of what I do. That's the only reason she could not get her mind past the fact that Hosea loved her unconditionally, that he was going to accept her no matter what her past was, that she had value and worth, not just by what she did, not because of what she produced, not because of the sexual relations that she had, she couldn't get it. So she kept on running back to what she had known, to what had been told to her year after year, day after day, transaction after transaction of saying, here's your worth. Here's the only value that you have. Church, if we're not careful, we won't understand this. We don't deserve his grace. We can't buy his love. And what you and I will do is we'll come to Christ and in that brokenness we'll realize that, God, I'm in need of something. God, I need you to rescue me. But ultimately we'll go back to what we've known. And we'll be Christians. We'll, we'll be followers of Christ that are trying to work for our salvation. And we'll buy into a mindset just like Gomer had, that God, somehow you love me more today because I read my Bible. And God, somehow you look on me more favorably, favorably today because I spent time praying. That God, because I showed up at church today, I know I messed up this past week and I did something that I wasn't supposed to. God, I wasn't faithful to you, but I can do enough good stuff, God, to get back in your favor. I can work hard enough, God, and I can earn your love. And Hosea's like, no, that's not how it works, Gomer. I know you've been told that. By man after man after man who's abused you, who's taken advantage of you, who's lied to you and told you that's all your worth is, but that's not how I see you. Church, this is the picture that God gives us. He's saying you can't work for it. 
Church, you can't do enough good stuff to cancel out the bad stuff that you've done. You can't earn the favor of God. You can't buy your way into heaven. You can't buy your way into God's love. It can't be done. Paul said it like this, that there's neither depth nor height. There's not angel or demon, past or present or future, that can separate you and me from the love of God. Nothing can separate us from his love. You can't buy it and you can't earn it. It's freely given to you. Church, it's freely given to you. And you and I, we face this battle in our mind of trying to tell ourselves over and over again, God, I can't earn your love. God, I, I can't. I could try and I'd come up short every single time, God. It'd come up missing in my life. But Lord, you've given it to me freely. God, I want to accept it. I want to accept it. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9 says this, this powerful verse on grace. It is by grace that you have been saved. It's by grace, you guys. Just God's unmerited favor over our life that you and I have been saved, rescued, and redeemed. It's through faith. This is not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not by works so that no one may boast, so that you and I can't say, look what we did. We won over God. It's his grace, you guys. And you and I, we're, we're Gomer in this story, and our life is broken. And the question is, will we accept God's unimaginable grace, his unconditional love, even though he's an infinite God. Will we accept that in our life? Or will we, like Gomer, continue to draw close to God and then run far away? Will we get close to God and say, God, I want you to be near me, but then ultimately fall back into that mindset that says, God, I've got to work for it. I've got to earn it, Lord. Can I be honest, when I preach messages like this, I have so many people that say, hey, we've got to be careful. We've got to be careful about talking about the grace of God or what we say to people. Because they could abuse that. They could keep on sinning. If they knew God loved them that much, then they wouldn't want to change. You guys, what Gomer needed wasn't punishment. She didn't need a stricter law from Hosea. What was Hosea going to do? She was abused and beaten and taken advantage of every single day of her life. You think Hosea can say, hey, if you don't do this, I'm going to punish you? No. She needed someone that would demonstrate the love of God. She needed to see his kindness and his compassion through the life of her husband. See, and that's what Peter says. It's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. That's what we need, church. It's not a stricter rule on sin. Okay, we know that we're jacked up. We know that we're sinful people. We are broken and we are messed up. We don't need people to keep on telling us that. What we need is to see the demonstration of the love of God that says, I love you unconditionally and my grace is going to keep you. My grace is going to protect you. I see your worth and I see your value. I'm married to you. I'm faithful to you. You can't run away from my love. I'm going to pursue you every day of your life. That's how badly I want to be with you. Church, I want to pray for you this morning. I'm going to ask if you would bow your head and close your eyes. And as we close this morning, I just want to ask if there's anyone here in the room, if you were to be honest with no one looking around, you would say, Aaron, I relate to that this morning. And this morning, maybe I've known in the past a relationship with God, but I've walked away just like Gomer did or Man, right here, if I were to be honest, I don't have that relationship. I've not given my life to God. I've not asked him to come in and to change me. I've not accepted his love. 
this morning, he's here. He's inviting you into a relationship with him. He wants to extend that love and that grace in your life. The Bible's very clear. We can't fix ourselves, church. We can't do it on our own. It is simply the love of God. It's a free gift that we accept. And if that's you, and you're saying, man, I want that fresh start. I want that relationship with God. I need that in my life. If that's you, would you just quickly slip up your hand and then you can put it back down? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Church, I'm going to ask you to pray this with me. Whether you've said it before, whether you're praying it for the first time, would you guys repeat this after me? Jesus, I come to you. I know I'm broken. And there's sin in my life. I need your forgiveness. I need your love. So come into my life. Be the savior of my life. Be the Lord of my life. Give me a brand new start. I pray this in your name. Amen. Church, can we just put our hands together this morning for those that have prayed this for the first time or they're recommitting their life to Christ. That's a reason to celebrate. And we're excited for you. I want to ask you in a moment at the end of service, if, if you could, if you could go to the Connect Center, we just want to encourage you and help you in those next steps as you start this relationship with God. But I'm going to ask all of us um, in the room right now to respond in this way. We want to remember what Christ has done. And we do that through taking communion together. And so in front of you, there are these elements right here. There's a small wafer and a little cup of juice. I'm going to ask you to take that in your hand. We want to just take a moment and together as a church, we want to celebrate the goodness of God, the grace of God. And you don't have to be a member here at NCC. You don't have to come often to partake of this. If you're a follower of Christ, if you have a relationship with God, that's all it takes to remember what he's done. And so grab that bread in your hand, grab that juice right there in your hand. I'm going to ask you, we're going to take a moment and we're just going to reflect. And right where you're sitting at, I want to ask you just to take a moment and just to thank God. Whatever his grace has meant in your life, whatever freedom, whatever addictions he has broken, whatever he's done, would you take a moment before we partake of these together and would you thank him? Let's do that together, church. God, we just... God's word says in Luke chapter 22 that on the night that Jesus was going to be betrayed, he took these elements. He said, I've long desired to take this Passover meal with you. And he said, I'm not going to do this again until this has been fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And so he took the cup. And he passed it around and he said, take this cup as often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. And he took this piece of bread in his hand and he said, this is a symbol of my body, which is broken. This cup is a symbol of the new covenant of my blood, which is poured out for you. And do this in remembrance of me. Church, I'm going to ask you to stand this morning and we're going to pray together and then we're going to partake of this. Let's just thank God corporately together as a church for his sacrifice. Let's do that this morning. God, we come before you. Thank you for your body that was broken, Lord. Thank you for your blood that was shed, God. We thank you for that this morning. And Lord, God, this morning we say thank you for your grace, Lord. We cannot tell you, Lord, how in love we are with you, Lord, because you have first loved us, Lord, because of your unconditional love, God. Thank you for that, Lord. We remember your sacrifice this morning, Lord. We are grateful. God, you are truly an amazing God. We love you, Lord. Church, let's eat and let's drink this together.
And right where you're at, I want you to just begin to sing this out. Let's declare the love of our Savior, the love of God together this morning. Let's sing this together.